0: Jeremy Hardy speaks to the nation. A series of lectures in which entertainer Jeremy Hardy examines the vicissitudes of modern living. This week, Jeremy Hardy explains how to be truly free.
1: Hello and welcome to another of my wireless lectures. In future programmes, I shall be telling you how to do a range of things, from how to be liked, to how to stay fat without dieting... (laughs) to How to Kill a Man with Your Bare Hands and a Grenade. (laughs) But tonight I shall be focusing on the ways in which we can achieve that rarest of commodities, freedom. To assist me in illustrating my talk with dramatised sequences, I am joined by two highly qualified actors, Debbie Isaac.
2: Hello, audience. Hello, Jeremy.
0: And joining Debbie is Stephen Frost.
2: Thank
0: you. Good evening, and thank you very much for inviting us onto the programme. Not at all. I'm sure it'll be great. Thanks. I don't care what everybody else says, it'll be great. Now, <laughs> without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. OK, five down, everyone. The trying to give a lecture here. Come on, quiet now.
1: My guide to how to be truly oh, free... Oh,
0: shut it!
1: <laughs> now! My, my guide...
0: On you go, Jeremy, any time you like. <laughs> Freedom, love it, go on.
1: <laughs> thank you, love. My guide to how to be truly free... What's that for?
2: Well, we thought you might like a little gong, you know, to get the listeners' attention.
1: Alright, thanks. So, freedom. Of course, the only reason that I'm able to discuss this issue at all is that in our country we have absolute freedom of expression, up to a point. But even here, even here, speaking to you audience members and listeners tonight, there are things I can't say. I can't say I've ever read any of Melvin Bragg's books, for example. (laughs) And there are legal restraints on my freedom of speech. For example, the police could prosecute me if I were to say something which is an incitement to racial hatred. Although it's much more likely they'd write it down and use it later. <laughs> Moreover, every broadcaster is forbidden by law to call on the armed forces to mutiny, to demand an uprising against the Queen, to divulge an official secret, to commit a blasphemy, or to tell the hamster joke. Yeah,
2: well that cuts out most of your material, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll work around it, Deb. Yeah,
2: we well, you should stand up to them, you know, they can't tell you what to do.
1: Look, shut it or I'll get someone else to do the acting. OK. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> uh, it
1: is doubtful whether anyone can have total freedom. When a man says he is free, does he really mean that he is wholly independent in thought and deed? Or does he simply mean he's not doing anything at the moment? <laughs> but even if complete freedom is an unattainable goal, there are things we can do to maximise the amount of freedom which we enjoy. These things fall into four categories, each of which I shall examine in the course of the programme. One. Throwing off all forms of oppression. Two. Staying out of prison. Three. Having so much money you can do whatever you like. And four. Achieving inner freedom through breathing and relaxation. (laughs) Let's start with oppression. In order to liberate ourselves from oppression, we first have to know that we are being oppressed. The great thing about Margaret Thatcher was that she left us in absolutely no doubt. (laughs) As I intimated in my introduction, even after all our years of Thatcherism, there are places far more oppressive than Britain. There are regimes in the world so vile and tyrannical that they make us look like a mere trading partner. Actually, <laughs> talking of Iraq, talking of Iraq, the Gulf War was supposed to be all about freeing Kuwait. Because, of course, when we talk about being free, we mean free not only as an individual or a group, but as a nation-state. Therefore, the Western Allies liberated Kuwait and handed it back to its rightful dictators. Much was made of the evils of Saddam. I'm not denying Saddam's a bastard. Of course he's a bastard. We wouldn't have been able to sell arms to him if he wasn't a bastard. I mean, you can't peddle nerve gas to someone like Alistair Sim. You have to know your market. Customer profile. Starving Africans get the dodgy baby milk, the loonies get the weapons. That's, that is what we mean by free trade. But what are the options for people living under dictatorship? Well, you might rise up in rebellion, especially if you've been conned into thinking you'll get Western backing. But if you're not in a strong enough position to rebel, or if your rebellion fails, you can always become a refugee. Britain does all it can to make asylum seekers feel at home, by treating them as badly as they were treated where they came from. (laughs) There are, however, things that each of us can do as individuals to throw off oppression. The best way not to be oppressed yourself is not to belong to an oppressed group. It is frankly asking for it to be female, gay or black in a society so clearly fraught with prejudice and discrimination. If you must belong to one of these groups, it's best to become rich and a Tory like Joan Almer Who? (laughs) Who is female, gay and black? Well, she denies being black, but it's pretty obvious. (laughs) Of course... There isn't time in a half-hour comedy programme to do justice to the whole range of oppressed groups in the world. Besides, things like torture make me go all squeamish. So, I've decided to talk mainly about gays, who are oppressed more or less everywhere, and by all the other oppressed groups as well. Gays are also in a rather unique situation, because you can, if you wish, hide the fact of being gay. Our society is quite tolerant of homosexuals who don't force their sexuality on others by going outside or saying, I'm gay in a residential area. (laughs) If you do your best to keep your sexuality a secret, you will be forgiven if you get caught. It will be said that you're basically a heterosexual who, owing to the pressure of work or over-exuberance in a crowded changing room, (laughs) suffered a momentary loss of concentration and started having it off with someone of the same sex. (laughs) And so long as you didn't enjoy it, no harm's been done. (laughs) Pressure upon gays to return to the closet has built up because of the HIV virus. Some people believe that AIDS was sent by God to punish people for being homosexual which begs the question, what was the plague for? To punish people for wearing period costume? <laughs> but hysteria is rife. When I recently applied for some life insurance, I was asked if I'd ever had homosexual relations. I said there was a cousin we used to wonder about, but I couldn't <laughs> Aside from HIV, the justification given for the oppression of gays is that homosexuality is unnatural. Although the person saying that is always dressed from head to toe in polyester anyway. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I don't care whether things are natural anyway. I mean, babies' incubators aren't natural, dialysis machines aren't natural. I'll tell you what natural is. Natural is earthquakes, wasps, stinging nettles, shit, pain and death. <laughs> At this point, I'd like to stop for questions. Debbie, what am I talking about?
2: Mm, I don't know, the impression of gays, I think. Oh, yeah. But
1: much of the oppression of gays is justified by religious zealots. The Bible is invoked because Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 22, says that homosexuality is an abomination. But Leviticus says all manner of inane things. For example, Leviticus says that if a woman having a period sits on your sofa, you've got to burn it. And it says... It says that if a man has sex with your donkey, you must put your donkey to death. So how did it lead him on, I want to know? Was it wearing a provocatively short saddle? Or do donkeys sometimes say Eeyore when they mean yes? (laughs) Sorry, I'm rambling again. (laughs) Bigots hate the idea that some people just turn out gay. Instead, they think it's something people choose to do just to be difficult. Or that something must have gone wrong to make them that way. Or that it's a temporary aberration caused by the lack of partners of the opposite sex. In a boarding school, for example. Now, let's listen to this dramatised sequence illustrating life in a boys' public school. Come in, boys. Ah, it's young Forbes,
0: isn't it? Yes, sir. Two Fs?
1: No, thank you, sir. Now, that's <laughs> enough of that. My bald I've been hearing about your antics in the junior common room, your
0: innuendo and overtly gay behaviour. Queer, sir. What? I'd rather be known as queer, sir. Politically aware gays have now adopted an oppressive term in order to turn it round against our oppressors and also unite gays and lesbians under one banner. Poppycock! That is your nickname, isn't it, folks? Yes, sir. (laughs) Poppycock, there are no
1: lesbians at this school. There are no girls. A fact which is at the root of your problem. Away from home, full of youthful vigor and burgeoning sensuality, surrounded by other boys? That doesn't bother me, sir. It doesn't? No, I'm a homosexual. You're not a homosexual. When I was your age, we all experimented with the hearty, rough and tumble of masculine camaraderie and shaws and rugger scrums. But a
0: man must put away a childish thing, Was married. bring forth the next generation. Sir? Yes? Why do they call you Big Bertha?
1: Now... Who has the least freedom in that scenario? The boy who acts freely but may be setting out into a perilous life of persecution or the headmaster who endures the daily oppression of living his true life in secret? <laughs> Steve? Is it the schoolboy? No, over to Debbie for a bonus point.
2: It's facile and glib to compare different people's oppression and it only succeeds in trivialising both.
1: Mm, I can give you half a point for that. The answer is actually hydrogen, all the others are liquids. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I've talked about the oppression of gays to illustrate just one of the reasons why the old saying, it's a free country, isn't quite true. So how can we make our society more free? I know what you liberals are thinking. You're thinking, um... Liberals believe that we can bring in bits of freedom while keeping our economic system the same. Karl Marx, on the other hand, wrote that revolution was inevitable under capitalism because society was divided into two classes. The people who do all the work and have no money or power and the people who own everything have all the power and all the money and oppress the other people. But, of course, a lot has changed since Marx's day. (laughs) Stamps have gone up, for example. (laughs) Because the free market is idolised by people in what was the Eastern Bloc, because of all the things that have been done to them in the name of Marxism.
0: Uh, Jeremy? Yeah? Don't you think you're lecturing people? Well, yes, it's a lecture. Oh, fair enough. Just checking.
1: One of the freedoms which people in Eastern Europe are said to demand is consumer choice. Being able to buy the things that we want is at the heart of contemporary ideas about freedom. Under the Conservatives, many more people in Britain are now able to afford their own homes. You can pick up a sleeping bag for about 12 quid. (laughs) But what's seen as important is the freedom, the right to buy property. I have the right to own my home. Right, now I'd just like to be able to sell the bastard, but that's not the point. (laughs) At least people are free to buy it. They just don't. (laughs) So is capitalism just a romantic fantasy that works in theory but not in practice? That depends on whether you're one of the success stories, the people who attain the level of freedom that only vast wealth can confer. This brings me to the second part of my lecture. But before I continue, I'll take any questions about what we've said so far.
0: I have a question. Yes, Steve? Would Mr Hardy agree that he is doing a marvellous job and that the listeners should have every confidence in his continuing to do so? I thank the right honourable gentleman for his kind words.
2: the presenter agree that in spite of his professing to speak about oppression, he has failed to include a single reference to the oppression of women?
1: I refer the Right Honourable Lady to the answer I gave a few moments ago. (laughs) I shall now continue with part two of the programme. In this part of the programme, I shall be dealing with the freedom given to us by money. You can literally buy freedom. You can buy power, you can buy time, you can buy sex, you can buy industries, you can buy politicians, you can buy my flat, but you bloody won't. (laughs) Money can buy you just about anything except for love or a pair of jeans without a stupid label on the back pocket. (laughs) So if money gives you freedom, how do you get money? Some people believe that no matter how we start, talent, grit and sheer hard work can overcome any obstacle to our becoming rich a black guy from Notting Hill can end up driving a Rolls. Of course, there'd be no point, because he'd be stopped by the police every four or five feet. (laughs) But in theory, he could do it. But what does it take to become a business tycoon? Let's look at the late Robert Maxwell, a man who could buy whatever he wanted. He couldn't get it in his size, true. Whole villages of Palestinians have been displaced to make room for his grave. Yet, in his life, he bought himself newspapers, football clubs, political influence, sycophants and fame. But what did he leave behind? Well, he left security for his children. Not maximum security, admittedly, but... (laughs) Of course, the rich seldom end up in jail. If they do, it's an open prison, like the Guinness people. The Guinness people were really only scapegoats for what is standard business practice. They probably only got arrested because Guinness comes from Ireland. (laughs) stretches were relatively cushy but no matter how relaxed the regime being in prison is about as unfree as you can get therefore in the next part of my lecture i shall endeavor to show you how not to get there but first let's all take a break for tea and coffee (laughs) Vicky, Jezza? Oh, please, I'm knackered. There you go, mate. You deserve it.
2: Going well, Jezza. Oh, is it all right? Yeah, I was only joking about women's oppression. I know how hard it is trying to cover such a massive subject in a thoughtful and entertaining way without patronising the oppressed and preaching to the concerted. Sorry, converted. I can't read your writing. Oh, Debbie!
0: Um, Do you really want me to say all this stuff about men with big noses having big... No, Debbie's spoiled it now. Well, just get on with it. Turn the hubbub tape off now, please.
1: I shall, na- oh, will you shoot bloody <laughs> I shall now talk about freedom through not going to prison. It is becoming more and more apparent that as far as keeping out of prison is concerned, being innocent doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> Much of the problem of wrongful convictions has arisen because of the sheer number of people who are Irish, so do try and avoid this if you can. <laughs> Under the Prevention of Terrorism Act, you can be held for seven days without being charged. Or indeed, 17 years without being guilty. Now, there is a man. There's a man in Parkhurst Prison called Danny McNamee who is doing 25 years for conspiracy to cause explosions. Now, I'm convinced that he is innocent, but under the broadcasting restrictions, I can only say that in a Northern Irish accent. Wasn't very good, was it? (laughs) Actually, Danny does a rather good Northern Irish accent, which is probably why he's in prison. (laughs) Evidence against him is forensic. Now, despite recent police protestations to the contrary, the forensic tests on Judith Ward, the Maguires and the Birmingham Six proved only that the suspect's hands had come into contact with police forensic scientists. (laughs) But the courts still believe that a fingerprint is conclusive evidence. What appear to be Danny McNamee's fingerprints are on materials said to be from arms caches. Danny said he didn't make the bombs... So how might the fingerprints have got there? Well, surprisingly, it's actually quite easy to move someone's fingerprints from something they've touched to something they haven't. And all you need is ordinary sticky tape. And Debbie is going to show you how to do it.
2: Oh, thanks, Jeremy. Now, I've got some old scraps of evidence here, and I'm going to decorate them by doing some nice fingerprinting. Now, what you need is an old plastic coffee cup, the kind of thing you can find in any police station, and some ordinary sticky tape. The first thing you need to do is get some prints on the coffee cup. It's best to get somebody Irish to help you with that. And what I'm going to do now is make a kind of transfer using the sticky tape. I'm placing it carefully on the cup right on top of a fingerprint. Peeling it off, and presto. The print is now on the sticky tape. Now, I can use this to smarten up any piece of evidence. In this case, a U-boat torpedo from the Second World War. Now, press firmly so the charge is really stick. There! Now, I've also got my Irish friend to use an ink pad to do some nice finger painting on this sheet of paper. Here's the picture he's made, and if you look again at the prints i put on the bomb, you can see we've made a perfect frame for him.
1: Thanks, Debbie. If you come to trial in Northern Ireland, you can expect to face a court with no jury. But even a jury is no guarantee of a fair trial, as I found out when I did jury service. Now, some of you will know the wonderful Sidney Lumet film, Twelve Angry Men with Henry Funder. Now, that film was very like my experience, except that on a real jury, everyone is like the Ed Begley character. A shamelessly obscure reference, I admit. What I mean is that the process of selection for jury service is a completely random one whereby an entirely abstract list is drawn up to provide a representative cross-section of lower-middle-class suburban bigots. (laughs) And I found myself sitting with these people in a small room deciding the vital matter of another man's freedom. Let's listen to this recording I made secretly.
2: My mind's made up. Yeah, it's open and shut, in my opinion. It's just so irritating making us sit around when we're all agreed.
0: Don't you think we should wait until we hear what he's been charged with before we make up our minds?
2: Oh, really? It's written all over him.
0: Yeah, you can see from the look on his face. Must have been in here dozens of times. I expect he was. That was a judge you were looking at.
1: (laughs) That's why we don't have black judges in this country. Most juries will convict them. Again, for a defendant, try to be white if you can. Anyway, once the trial kicks off, you will have to sit through unending drivel while people with bath mats on their heads speak Latin. (laughs) Your trial could last for weeks and months and be very confusing, so you'll just have to hope the jury are paying attention. They can ask the judge questions by handing a note to the clerk of the court. I asked the judge, don't you think you're getting a bit old for this sort of thing? (laughs) Anyway, if you're on trial, you're really going to need a Henry Fonda character. I played the Henry Fonda character perfectly. Unfortunately, I did the one from on Golden Pun. <laughs> it was good. It was just inappropriate. <laughs> when there's no real case against you at your trial, the prosecution will try and sway the jury with what's called circumstantial evidence, which means any old tosh they can dredge up. Your O-level results and stuff like that. <laughs> of course, the burden of proof is on the prosecution. You don't have to prove anything. You don't even have to testify if you don't want to. All you have to do is demonstrate to the court that you are entirely untainted by all worldly things and that you were dead at the time the offence took place. (laughs) And you'll just have to hope that you get a fair summing up from the judge.
0: Members of the jury... (laughs) You have heard that the accused was carrying a sum of cash at the time of his arrest... You may think that 35 pounds is a very large sum to be in a man's pocket. You may indeed ask, if he is not a drug dealer, why, oh why doesn't he keep it in the building society? Just think of the interest he's losing. That is a matter for you heard also from Constable Lane, who I hope will not be embarrassed when I compliment him on the clarity and the convincing nature of his testimony. His firm, honest chin
2: <laughs> and
0: a complexion to die for. <laughs> Constable Lane has testified that the accused exercised his right to silence, but Members of the jury, this is not to be construed as evidence of guilt, even though it clearly is. As to the manner of the arrest, counsel for the defense has questioned the use of four helicopter gunships to subdue a man asleep in a deck chair. That is a matter for you. In closing, allow me to make one last puddle. Thank you.
1: If you do end up in prison, you have, in a real sense, lost your freedom. But let us in the final section of this program look at inner freedom. Before I carry on, I propose a moment's silent spiritual attunement. Listeners on Longwave may wish to attune themselves to VHF <laughs> because of interference with the biorhythms of our Glastonbury transmitter. <laughs> right, that's long enough. <laughs> the human spirit has survived any amount of oppression. Many people walking around at liberty have thinking which is far more controlled and distorted than that of people behind bars. The great Russian anarchist Bakunin did much of his thinking in jail. Of course, there wasn't much point in him thinking, I think I'll nip out for a bit, but <laughs> The fact that he remained true to his ideas was a victory over his jailers. In this context, being free is not so much about our physical situation, it is about mental attitude. In this stressful, aggressive period of our history, many people look to unconventional philosophies to give them inner peace, to free their souls. A friend of mine stays for days floating blindfold in a bath of lukewarm hazelnut oil while the amplified calls of dolphins play backwards in her ears and a druid priest sings those lazy hazy crazy days of summer from on top of the bathroom cabinet. I asked her why she does this and she said it helps keep me sane. (laughs) Of course many of us who don't have any real problems are apt to feel a deep sense of loss and may decide to go on an inner journey to find something to complain about. But for people genuinely suffering a severe curtailment of their freedom, some form of meditation can be a vital way of keeping the spirit free.
0: Although you shouldn't turn down the offer of some wire cutters. (laughs) Morning, Basho. Morning, Colonel. Uh, We can speak freely. The goons are watching the choir practice, sir. Splendid. Let's go over the plans of the escape. Well, the Polish airmen are rehearsing a new chant. To drown out the noise of the tunnelling? No, sir, to levitate. Levitate? Levitate the Canadian's glider, sir. Excellent. When can I see it? Uh, Well, you can't exactly see it, sir. It's more of a spiritual glider. (laughs) But with the right incantation and a bit of British luck, it should just make it over the perimeter fence, carrying all our dreams and aspirations with it, sir. Couldn't we use a real glider? That's too risky, sir. Jerry would spot it. Good point. What about Digger Blythe? Uh, Still in sensory deprivation, sir. Those Nazi swine! No, sir. He's got his own tank. First rate. He can blast his way out. Uh, Sensory deprivation tank, sir. (laughs) What about Tunnel A? Came across, sir. Digger was about five feet short of the wire when he had a really bad feeling about it. (laughs) But... Ferret Favisham reckons Tunnel B will be finished in time for the midwinter solstice pagan carol concert, when every goon in the camp is bound to be watching Pinky's group therapy routine. (laughs) And just as the show reaches its climax, Ferret will lead the Germans through the tunnel, because Ferret feels that, in a way, they're prisoners even more than we are, sir. Uh, Basher, you know we're never going to get out of here, don't you? Yes, sir, but we're going to have some damn good moments of tranquility trying (laughs) to. The rituals of New
1: Age fads are no more bizarre than the rituals of established religions. It's just a question of what you're used to. It's very easy to sneer at things you don't understand. And I don't understand why more people don't sneer at them. (laughs) But if something brings you peace and happiness, does anyone else have the right to knock it? Whether it's yoga, Christianity, chocolate hobnobs or heroin. (laughs) All have been said to free the mind. (laughs) Apart from chocolate hobnobs. (laughs) But do they free it, or do they, in relaxing it, also pacify it, numb it, and enslave it? Marx said that religion is the opium of the people. Although the Church of England is more the paracetamol, really. <laughs> Catholicism and Judaism are like the speed, because just as we think you're over it, it catches up with you again. <laughs> Buddhism must be the alcohol, because it makes you say really stupid things over and over
0: and over. <laughs>
1: In many ways, religion does the opposite of freeing us. It circumscribes us, especially Judaism. (laughs) Religious books... Eh, no. Religious books... (laughs) Here's one, lady. Religious books are full of lists of things we're not allowed to do, most of which are highly enjoyable. But perhaps by abstention we free ourselves from the fetishism of sensual gratification and experience a higher non-secular sense of pleasure... Doesn't sound very likely, though, does it? (laughs) Of course, thought does not exist in a vacuum and how we think is a product of environment, education, culture, and how pissed we are. (laughs) Inner freedom is not just about thought. It can depend on you being physically relaxed. You can relax by doing breathing exercises, which are very easy exercises to do because most of them involve lying on the floor. And breathing's a doddle, because you'd be doing that anyway. (laughs) Alternatively... Many Eastern forms of exercise can teach you spiritual enlightenment, muscle toning, physical and mental relaxation and how to kick the shit out of people all at the same time. (laughs) You might see Chinese people doing Tai Chi exercises in the park. If you wonder why they do it in the open air, the reasons are cultural and philosophical. If you see white people doing Tai Chi in the open air, it's because they're souls who like showing off. (laughs) Ultimately, to achieve inner freedom, only you can decide what's right for you. But how do our four routes to freedom compare? All are time-consuming and demanding
0: in today's busy lifestyle. So how did our guinea pigs get on? Steve. Well, one of the little sods bit me when I was putting the food tray in the cage. <laughs> and they both jumped out and legged it.
2: Bloody hell, Steve. I was minding them for my cousin.
0: Well, look at it this way. At least now, they're free.
2: Bloody not. cost a fortune-American fighting guinea pigs. That's
0: not what Jeremy meant. Thank you, Steve. He was searching desperately for an end to
1: the show. Actually... I'd like to end tonight's show by asking our team captains what humorous clipping has caught their eye in the week's newspapers. <laughs> Debbie.
2: Well, nothing really. It's all pretty depressing, actually.
1: Fine. Well, <laughs> in that case, perhaps
0: I'll simply end with an appropriate quote. I've got a quote. Yeah? Yeah, 200 quid for a new carburetor. I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> Well, in yeah, con- but it's only dirt, you know. Yeah, well, in... I mean, you, go- you can blow it out yourself, you know. It's yeah, something. all right.
1: Well, in conclusion, I, come round I hope we've seen how freedom is a complex and subtle concept which means different things to different people. For a political prisoner in a dictatorship, freedom means the right to follow your own conscience. Yet, for an advertising executive, freedom means a ready-frozen tampon you can pop in the dishwasher. Credits, <laughs> please.
0: Jeremy Hardy Speaks to the Nation was written by Jeremy Hardy and starred Jeremy Hardy, Debbie Isaac and Stephen Frost.
2: The producer was David Tyler and the programme was a positive production for the BBC.